Hey friend, are you struggling to find consistent paid speaking gigs? Do you want to know the exact six steps that you can take to find and book more paid speaking opportunities in 2024? Well, we want to make that easy for you. We've created a new free resource with the help of Dan Irvin, one of our highly successful speakers on our team. Dan has booked over $100,000 in paid speaking gigs in the last few years, and his six-step process is going to help you maximize your chances of getting booked and paid to speak in any industry. You're going to learn how to get started prospecting, master discovery calls, and proposal emails and so much more. All you got to do is go to thespeakerlab.com slash steps and we're going to send you this 18-page guide straight to your inbox. Again, that is thespeakerlab.com slash steps and you're going to get that free guide. Hey, thanks for listening. You're awesome. Hey, what's up, friends? Grant Baldwin here. Welcome back to the Speaker Lab Podcast. Good to have you here with us today. Hope you're having a great day, great start to the new year. Hopefully, you're um, making a dent and moving the ball forward in your speaking business. Now, if you need help doing that, then I know I've told you about this, but I want to remind you again, in case you haven't jumped in on this, with a brand new book called The Successful Speaker, Five Steps for Booking Gigs, Getting Paid, and Building Your Platform. The book is going to be out in just a couple of weeks on February the 18th, but we want you to pre-order the book now. In fact, we've put together several different pre-order bonuses just for those who pre-order. In fact, if you order a copy of the book, we will give you the audiobook for free among other pre-order bonuses that we want to hook you up with. So don't hesitate. Go ahead and pre-order by going over to thespeakerlab.com slash book. Again, that is thespeakerlab.com slash book. Remember, the book comes out February 18th, but you need to get a copy of it today. Stop waiting around. Go pick up the successful speaker. All right, so today we've got a great guest for you. We've got my friend Allison Fallon, who is joining us, does a lot of work with uh, writers and authors about helping understand, finding their voice and finding the kind of the big idea of their message. So we have a, a wide range of conversation here with Allie talking about dealing with nerves before you speak. We also talk about finding your voice as a speaker. We talk about the value of writing for a speaker and the importance of creating a writing habit. So a lot to get to, really fun conversation. I think you're really going to enjoy this. So let's jump into this conversation with Allison Fallon. Enjoy. Hey, what's up, friends? Grant Baldwin here. Welcome back to the Speaker Lab podcast. I am so excited to have my friend Allison Fallon here joining us. Allison is one of the nicest people and one of the best writers and uh, extremely smart. She's going to bring so much to the table today in helping us find our voice as speakers. So, Allison, thanks for joining us today. Yay. Thank you for having me. This is wonderful. I feel like we've known each other for five years, six years. A while, yeah. Something like that. I moved to Nashville in 2013, maybe. So yeah. yeah, six years. Cool. That's crazy. Crazy, crazy. Okay. So first of all, you've done a lot of speaking and work with a lot of speakers and especially like in the writing space with authors. Mm -hmm. Kind of give us a snapshot of what your business is like. So my business is called Find Your Voice and we help authors outline their book idea. I mean, we do a lot of other things with authors, but that's the main thing we do is help authors develop their book ideas. So that really came out of a personal pain point for me because in 2010, I quit my full-time job knowing that I wanted to write a book and just with just enough naivete to be a tiny bit stupid about it. Like I was just like, I knew I wanted to do this. I've got a little bit of like a risk factor to my personality. So I was like, oh, this shouldn't be too hard at all. I'll just quit yeah. now and that will give me all the time I need to do it. And jumped into the deep end and had no idea what I was doing, not only in the world of publishing, but also just how to get an idea to look on the page the way that you imagine it to be in your head. So I spent three years really circling the same block over and over again, writing drafts and throwing them away and writing new drafts and throwing them away. And when I was finished with that book, I thought there has to be a simpler way to do this. 
And, and then that pain point was really amplified by how after the book came out, I was watching these other writers who I was friends with and connected to in the writing community who were really, really gifted writers, but who were having a hard time getting publishing contracts because they didn't know how to package their idea in a way that would be really appealing to a publisher. So yeah. I have a background in education. I have a master's degree in teaching writing. And one of the things we focused on in that program was building curriculums. So I was like, I can write a course that will teach people in a, in a matter of a few months how to write a book proposal document and then yeah. how to develop their idea into a book that's going to really like resonate and land with a reader and how to package it in a way that a publisher is going to find really appealing. Very so clear. that's what I've been doing for the last, since 2013 or so. And so the core of what you do is, is like you mentioned, working with authors, but you've done a lot of speaking yourself and done a lot okay. from stage. So how does speaking fit into the business? Are you still yes. doing much speaking? I am doing quite a bit of speaking. It's evolved over time because I started out as a memoir writer. And I think this is one really important thing to focus on is that I was a writer first and I got forced into the public speaking part of things because the publisher told me and everyone else told me, you've got to go speak to promote your book. Yeah. So I got pushed into that part of the business when, I mean, I remember my early days of speaking, just thinking like, this is torture treatment. Like I need to carry like a bucket with me on stage because I'm going <laughs> to puke everywhere. I was definitely drawn to the idea of kind of hiding behind a computer screen and developing my ideas fully before I presented them. And I didn't like the on the fly nature of public speaking. And I felt like everyone was staring at me. And it also felt really uncomfortable, just the sheer adrenaline that happens in the human body when you're standing yeah. on a stage in front of people. I didn't like that feeling. And so I had to do in the beginning, especially a lot of work around what does it look like to manage that in a healthy way? And, and how can I make that more livable for myself? But I will say one big thing that changed for me is I went from being a memoir writer and standing on stage and talking about really like most intimate, vulnerable parts of my life to having a message that I was presenting to a reader that I felt like could really help them. And I'm not saying memoirs don't also help people because they do in their own unique, very artistic way. Yeah. But once I started doing research around how powerful a tool writing is to bring about positive change in your life, and I realized you know, a regular practice of writing can improve your immune system and it can help you sleep better and it actually improves people's romantic relationships. And there are a thousand other benefits that writing can bring into your life. Then I was like, oh, now I have something to teach people that doesn't always have to be, here's the worst thing that's ever happened to me that I'm going to tell you from a stage. It really helps with the stage fright when you're communicating an idea versus communicating this really complicated story that feels like so close to you. So that's shifted and evolved a little bit too, but that's really how speaking supports the business now yeah. is convincing people. Cause you have people who want to write something. If they already want to write a book, I don't have to convince them to be a client. Like most of my business has been built just by referrals and word of mouth. And it's kind of grown beyond what I expected it to do because people who want to write a book feel frustrated when they can't get the words down and we help resolve that frustration. So it's a really like tangible, poignant pain point. But I'm realizing that there's this whole audience of people outside of that who maybe are less motivated to actually get some writing done or wouldn't necessarily call themselves writers or don't think that they have a book idea, but they don't realize that the areas where they're feeling stuck in their personal life, that they could use a regular practice of writing a very simple 20 minutes a day, or it doesn't even have to be 20 minutes, 10 to 20 minutes is what the research shows 
of responding to simple prompts and that they could see progress in those areas of their life. And mm-hmm. it can actually exponentially speed up the therapeutic process if you're in a, you know, a regular process of therapy. There are a thousand ways that it can, it can help you. It can improve your career growth. They say people are more likely to get promoted. They're more likely to be paid more if they're writing regularly. Um, and I think there are a thousand reasons for that that we can unpack. What I'm having to do when I travel and speak now is convince people of this pain point that they don't really know that they have. Yeah, <laughs> I have to convince them to pick up the pen and try writing yeah. so that they can see the positive impact writing can have. Okay. You have a, I have a bunch of questions here. I want to go back okay. to one thing you touched on earlier. So first of all, you mentioned when you first started speaking, the anxiety, the nerves, all of it was just over, almost to the point of overwhelming. How did you learn to kind of cope and deal with that? So the, the really simplest uh, techniques that I used were all breathing techniques that just help to calm your body's nervous system. And the best piece of advice that I heard was from Mike Hyatt. And he said to try to think of this as excitement and not nerves. So yeah. basically just to reframe it in your mind and think like, this is actually your body's way of preparing you for the task at hand. Yeah. So that was the simplest thing I did. The simplest breathing exercise is elongating your out breath. So if you just breathe in for four counts and then out for six, it slows your body's stress response and calms your amygdala, which is your fear response. So that's the simplest way. And there are a bunch of other breathing exercises you could do. I mean, you could literally Google this. There are people all over the internet that teach different breathing exercises. And some of them are more embarrassing to do in public than others. But if you can kind of like find a quiet space backstage before you go out on stage, then there's some other ones that you can do too. Because uh, it sounds like some of that is also like backstage before you go up. Is there anything that you you did during the talk itself? Like I was trying to think through the breathing of like if you really slow down your talk. Because I know for me, I tend to talk fast. But I also found like from the nerve standpoint, I would be nervous backstage. And then usually a minute or two into it, you kind of hit your stride and you feel good. How do you deal with it during the talk? The breathing is harder during the talk. But really, yeah. if you just take a pause and take a breath, you'll notice that your heart rate will slow. And then the other thing that works really well for me is just putting both feet on the ground. Cause I'll notice that when I get nervous, I start to stand on one foot or the other. And if you put both feet on the ground, you feel much more grounded and settled. Hmm. So those are simple things to do, but yeah, slowing down for me is a big one. Cause I am the same as you. I talk really quickly and you don't realize that you're not actually taking a deep breath <laughs> right, and your right. heart rate will speed up when you're not breathing. It's your body's <laughs> way of being like, we need <laughs> heads up, heads up. Right. So I think thinking of it like that, like, Yeah. I've had to think of it literally just like my body is having a response and this doesn't have anything to do with whether or not I'm qualified to be here. It has everything to do with my body just having a response to the situation. So you're kind of like in this negotiation with your body and you're like, what does my body need in order to slow this response so that I can deliver the information that is already in my head? Yeah. So I would also walk myself through all these visualizations before I went on stage One thing I would do is talk myself through the fact that I've been invited to come speak here. Somebody paid for my plane ticket. They're paying me an honorarium. It's like just these reminders to yourself that you're equipped and qualified to deliver this message. And then also I would picture myself delivering this message to one person, which is a trick I use for authors too when they're feeling stuck. I always say to write it like a love letter instead Mm -hmm. of trying to write it like an essay or a term paper. Yeah. And if you can do that, you unlock the creative flow or however you want to talk about it. But there's just a, like a personalization to the message that makes it feel much less intimidating than delivering a message to a thousand people. If you think like I'm chatting with my best friend on the phone and I'm telling her something that I think is going to be really helpful for her and how would I talk about it then? Yeah. And it just sort of frees you up to be yourself. Do you consider yourself more of a speaker who happens to write or an author who happens to speak? 
an author who happens to speak. Although, I mean, the skill sets are shifting to the point where I, I'm more confident in my skill set on stage. And I do think, you know, I see myself on bigger and bigger stages as the business grows. I think it's the best way to get the message out there because not everybody's going to pick up a book. And you, so you have a better opportunity for reaching a wider audience on the stage. But you know, I mean, it's like anything, like we have the things that we're initially drawn to and that we're initially good at. And then I think there's this myth that if I'm not initially amazing at something that I should give up on it and not, yeah. it's not worth the effort. And I think if you can see the benefit of public speaking to your business or to selling books or whatever it is that you're doing, or to delivering a message that you think of as your legacy or something you want to leave behind when you go, then you kind of like grab onto this like a higher purpose, I guess. And you just say like, I'm going to figure out how to do it. Like anybody can learn any skill. So I can learn how to public speak. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, It's one of those things like you get better with over time and the way you get better is that you practice. And so you can't just, uh, again, sit home and think, wow, I mean, someday I wish I could be a better speaker. Like that doesn't change anything, but actually getting on stages and working at it and knowing that like sometimes it's not going to go well and sometimes you're going to bomb. That's part of the experience of it. So I'm curious also, since the, the core of what you do today is helping authors and writers like find their main idea and find kind of the big idea. I have all these different thoughts swirling in my head. I know there's something there. How do I create some type of framework or context that I can explain this to, you know, in the form of a book or speech or whatever it may be. Mm -hmm. It's a similar challenge that a lot of speakers have is trying to get clear on what they speak about, figuring out what, what is relevant, what makes sense for an audience. So can you kind of talk us through like, what's that process for someone who would come to you and say, I have all these ideas, I have all these stories, I have all this history, I have all these exam, I have all this stuff swirling around. And I'm just trying to figure out there's a talk in there somewhere. There's a book in there somewhere. I don't know how to like, I don't know how to, to make sense of it. Yeah. The advice I have is what we always do with authors is look for the one common thread. So when someone comes to me and they're like, I think I have a book idea, but I'm not quite sure what it is. I just start asking them questions. Okay. Tell me what makes you want to write a book. All right. Well, what could you see the book being about? What other kinds of books do you feel like this book could look like? How would it look the same as that book? How would it look different? So we, I just go down a long line of questions just to try to get them talking about the idea. And what I find is when you get someone talking about their idea or ideas about life, they, they can pretty much talk forever. I mean, yeah. all of the information is in there. It's just a matter of pulling on the right thread to get it to come out. So then I think of that part of the process, like a, just a brain dump. It's like taking a junk drawer and dumping it upside down on the table so that you can at least see everything that's yeah, there. Yeah. And then we start looking for commonalities between all the things that they're talking about. And it's really hard to see this yourself. So if you're trying to develop your own idea and you're not pulling anyone else into the process with you, chances are you're getting stuck. Or maybe you're not getting stuck, but it might just take you a little bit longer to get there to where you can see it because there's like a window of objectivity for your own work. So like for authors, I say like, write a draft, put it away for a week and come back to it because you need that window before you can really come back and be objective about your own work. But you're going to have to have more of those windows to be able to come back to what you're working on and see it objectively. But what we're looking for is the one common thread. And there's always a common thread. And sometimes the common thread hits on like, let's say there's a hundred items on the table from the junk drawer. Sometimes the common thread hits on 80 of the items and 20 of them have to go. Yeah. And when I'm working on a book with an author, I just tell them those are the 20 things for your next book. Yeah. <laughs> or those 20 things just don't belong in the book. They don't fit, fit for the reader. But that's a really great way to start to narrow in on the message is to look for what are the commonalities between all these things that we're talking about. 
And sometimes what happens too is, I'm sure this happens for your speakers too, but you find the one common thread and then that person goes, I don't want to write about that or I don't want to talk about that for the next 10 years, you know? Mm -hmm. And then you have to make some hard decisions. It's like, well, is that the thing that's going to, is there another reason that are you willing to do it because it's going to grow your business or because it's a really great business idea? Like maybe the book is like a, there's a need for it in the market. And so you want to write a book about like grooming cats or something because everybody's searching this on Amazon and it's going to make you a lot of money. Or do you want to write the book that feels like it's sort of tugging at your heart and it's the thing you've always wanted to say and it's a passion project and you don't care about how much money it makes. So those are decisions you're having to make as an author as well as a spe- as a speaker, I assume. How would you advise someone in that situation? Uh, on one side, I have more of a business opportunity that just feels more lucrative. So it's kind of like, you know, when you think about who you speak to, there's some audiences you can charge more versus others. Some sure. topics you can charge more versus others. Um, so going that direction from a business opportunity standpoint versus, I, you know, and maybe I, I don't really care that much about those things. I just see an opportunity versus sure. like, here's this thing that I'm deeply passionate about over here. Although there may not be as much of an opportunity or it may not be as lucrative or I may not even be able to make a living from it but I really care about this topic over here. How do you find that right balance? Well, I think there are a couple of different approaches you can take and you just have to go into it knowing the facts of a situation. So one approach you can take that a bunch of authors have taken is I'm going to write the book that the market demands for now because later after I've built some credibility for myself, I can write whatever I want to write and because people know my name and they know who I am, they're going to buy what I'm selling. So if you can be strategic about it, that works really well. I feel like that's that's worked for a handful of authors. I'm trying to think off the top of my head. Like Shauna Nequist is a great example. She wrote Bread and Wine. That was her third or her fourth book. I can't remember. But that was really the the passion project for her. It was the thing she wanted to write. And I think publishers were saying to her, I don't know if I'm getting this story exactly right, but in the very beginning, publishers were saying something to the effect of like, nobody wants a memoir slash cookbook. They want either a memoir or a cookbook. They don't want both. And so it was like, well, what is the other book that I can write that the market is demanding right now? And then once I've built some credibility around my name, then people are like, what's the next thing Shauna's going to write? And then you can write bread and wine. So that's one approach you can take. Another approach you can take is just to say, I don't really care what happens with this book from a business perspective. I have a message that's been put on my heart that I know I need to say. And it's kind of like a therapeutic process for me to sit down and actually write it. And I feel like something sort of spiritual is happening and it feels like, you know, I've got like a, maybe a moral imperative or something to say this to the world. And a great example of an author like that is William Paul Young, who wrote The Shack, Mm -hmm. wrote that book for himself and for his children and for his family. It was a passion project for him. I don't think he ever saw it becoming what it has become. And he even pitched the book to many publishers who all turned it down and then wrote it anyway and was you know, slinging books out of the trunk of his car in the early days of The Shack. And now the book has sold. Last I checked, which was before the movie came out, it had sold 26 million copies. And now it's been made into a major motion picture. So so you just never know what can happen with the book. But I do think if you're going to write a book that's a passion project, you have to go into it knowing that I'm okay if this book never does in the marketplace what I want it to do. I'm not relying on that for for how I feel about myself as an author or my most recent book is called Indestructible. And that was that book for me. I just needed to write it for myself. And I knew that there were a handful of people I wanted to share it with. I knew there were a lot of women who were following my platform really closely who needed to hear the 
like nitty gritty details of the story that I had been walking through. I'd been in an abusive marriage and had gotten out and was finding a way to recover from, you know, the past five years of my life. And I knew that there were people who were really needing to hear that story, but I also knew this is not an easy book to sell in the marketplace. Memoirs aren't selling well. Um, especially coming out of the Christian market, which my first book was published with Moody. They had gotten plenty of feedback from publishers and agents saying, you know, to talk about an abusive relationship with a pastor is not going to go well for you and your career. So I had gotten that feedback and I just decided I needed to do it anyway. And the book hasn't sold as well as Packing Light sold, but that wasn't why I did it. Yeah. So from a memoir standpoint, since that's something that you went with, and it's also something that you've helped other mm-hmm. authors with, how, how can, how can, like, it's one of the things you and I have talked a little bit about. And we talked about this on your podcast, which everyone needs to go download immediately <laughs> called Finding Your Voice, correct? Find Your Voice. Find Your Voice. All right. So yeah. Find Your Voice is the podcast. Make sure that you go download that wherever you're listening to this one, go download that one. But on that one, one of the things that we talked about was as speakers, like we're in the problem solving business. And so a lot of people come to speaking, they come to writing from the standpoint of, I want to tell my story of something that happened to me or something that I experienced and something that was something I accomplished. Um, and it could be any number of these kind of like life story memoir type approaches. So how do you find the balance between here's this really cool, fascinating, sad, inspiring story versus like, here's how this applies to an audience more than just, no, that was a nice story. So how do you find that right balance? Well, it's a little different with books, I think, than with speaking. You can tell me if this is different, but I tell authors that you kind of, if you're writing a nonfiction book, you kind of have to choose between writing a story-driven book and a content-driven book. If you're writing a story-driven book that's like memoir or maybe a collection of short essays, it's creative nonfiction would be the genre. Mm -hmm. But that would be the genre I would put indestructible in. What I mean by a story-driven book is not just that you tell stories in the book, but usually the stories are chronological or sort of chronological. They follow a story arc. And the reason the reader is turning the page from one page to the next is because they want to know what happens to the character next in the story. And that's really how indestructible reads how most memoirs read a book like wild by Cheryl Strayed reads like that. You're like, Oh my gosh, what's going to happen to her? Is she going to be okay? Yeah. Content driven book is different. People are reading a content driven book because they're wanting to know the information that you're presenting to them. And I think a content driven book is it's easier to do what you're talking about where you pinpoint a problem that the reader has and you're giving them information that's going to help them solve their problem. So the reason a reader is turning the page in a content-driven book is because they're like, I need to know how to fix my problem. Yeah. And they're two really, really different books. So you have to make a decision. Here's the thing. In currently in December of 2019, as we're recording this, memoirs are not on trend. They were on trend for a while. Like, in the marketplace. They were selling like hotcakes. I mean, Elizabeth Gilbert's Eat, Pray, Love, I think that was like, you know, at the height of, of when memoirs were selling really well. And a couple of memoirs lately have sold well. Hillbilly Elegy sold really well. Educated sold really well. So there's still memoirs that are coming out that are selling well. But what I'm finding working with authors and pitching books to publishers is publishers are much less likely to take a risk on a memoir because it's harder to position it in the marketplace. Yeah. You're positioning it next to you are a badass or girl wash your face or these books that are not memoirs. They're not story driven books, but they're inspiring nonfiction books, teaching people how to build a business or make more money or grow in confidence or whatever it is, the information that that you're teaching someone. So like if an author comes to me and they're like, I have this really important story that I want to tell. I don't want it to get lost. You know, I want my kids to know this story. I want to share it with the world. I feel like 
people will say like, I feel like God told me I'm supposed to write the story or mm-hmm. I feel like I'm meant to write the story or something. And I just need them to know ahead of time that it's really hard to sell a memoir in the marketplace. And that doesn't mean that you shouldn't write it. In fact, one of the reasons that I started Find Your Voice is because I feel like if someone's been given a book idea, they've been in a way commissioned to write that book and it doesn't really matter what happens with the book. It can be like a creative, you know, like we have a client, for example, a woman who has four children who has stage four cancer and she wants her kids to know her after she's gone. So getting her words down, she has a completely different motivation than someone who's building a business and needs a lead magnet. So it's just about determining what your motivation, what your motivation is, what your expectations are for what the book will do, what your strategy and plan is, and then being realistic about those expectations. You can curb this. There's like, I think, um, like a, this disappointment that can follow when you have an author who's like, I've got this artistic creative idea and I, I just, I know I need to get it out in the world and it's going to sell like gangbusters. And it's just, it's like kept catching lightning in the bottle. Maybe it does and maybe it doesn't. And there's just not as many ways. Yeah. Cause you mentioned like, um, like with the, the memoir thing that memoirs were, were hot a few years ago and now they're, they're not less as much or less. So, um, so it seems like maybe, I don't know if it's the type of book or the type of speech or the audience or the topic that some of it is a matter of being right place, right time. How much of that do you think is the case? Totally. I'm trying to think of what the quote is right now, but you can manufacture your own luck is what I'm getting at too. So yeah, some of it's being in the right place at the right time and the right idea coming out out at the right time, but also some of it is just hustle. You know, I mean, like I know some of the backstory because Don Miller is a friend. I know some of the backstory behind Blue Like Jazz and how that book really took off, which, I mean, it's been 20 years since that book came out. But, you know, you think there are some aspects to the story which are very, like, he got lucky. He caught lightning in the bottle. And then there are other aspects to the story where Don's a very good businessman and he knew exactly what to do and the right people to talk to and he wasn't scared to make the ask. So I think it's both for authors. And actually, that's true regardless of whether you're writing a content-driven book or a memoir, it's easier to hit the nail on the head when you're writing a content-driven book because I mentioned the joke about grooming cats. But like, if you can find out that on Amazon, people are searching for how do I groom my cat, whatever it is, the search like phrases that they're putting into Amazon, if you know that thousands of people a day are searching for that, you could write a book that teaches people how to do that and put it on Amazon and you'd make a hell of a lot more money than I've made selling Indestructible. So it's just about like having the intention going in and having the right expectations, I think. So as a as someone who helps work with authors and just finding their voice, uh, I know one of the th- challenges is that, that you can kind of help with is helping people like differentiate their topic or their, their message from others that are similar, you know? So for example, you know, you mentioned a mom that is dealing with cancer. Again, not to diminish or take anything away from her, but there's a lot of people who deal with cancer who would, who could speak on that. So, or who who could write a book on that. So what would you say to a speaker who's trying to think through like, okay, I want to speak on, you know, customer service. It's the thing I'm really passionate about. And I know it's something I can help companies with, but I know that there are thousands of other customer service speakers that exist. So is there a way to think about like how to, differentiate yourself from others who are doing something similar? So an activity that I have authors do and speakers could do this really easily too is choose three books that they either really admire or who they they kind of see their book being like. So somebody that they want to emulate and you could do this with three different speakers too. And for each of the books, I have them list 
how they're the same as that, their writing would be the same as that book. So it could be something as simple as like the length would be generally the same. I'm also a woman. This author is a woman. It could be something like, you know, she's really funny and I hope my book is funny, whatever it is. So list the ways that you want your book to be the same as that book. And then also create a list of ways that you see your book being different. So again, you could just, it could be something as simple as, this book was written by a man and I'm a woman, or it could be something as simple as like, this book doesn't include pictures and I want my book to include pictures, or this book was much more serious than my book will be. So whatever it is, gets you to start thinking about the truth of the matter is that we all have our very own unique voice as unique as our fingerprint that can't be confused with anyone else's fingerprint. So it's a matter of really figuring out how to define that and explain it and then how to lean into it and how to make sure that you're using it over and over again. Like we all have our own unique cadence when we speak. We have our own unique way of delivering a message. Like I wouldn't consider myself a particularly funny speaker, but things that people would say about me when I'm on stage is that I'm very insightful or I'm really vulnerable or I'm very sincere. So what are the things that people would say about you when you're on stage and how is that different than the next person who might deliver a very similar message? The other encouragement that I give to authors, and this works for speakers too, is sometimes it takes the same message delivered a bunch of different times in different ways for it really to resonate or sink in finally for a reader. So like, this is the first example that comes to my head, but like books on money, right? You have like, you are a badass at making money. You have like the millionaire mindset. There are dozens of books out there about changing your mindset and changing your finances. But you could read six different books or eight different books or 10 different books all on the same topic. And there could just be one that's said in the right way or because it's spoken by a woman instead of by a man or someone younger instead of older or someone who came from your same background. Finally, it clicks for you and it sinks in. That's just the encouragement that I give. Just don't think that just because there are other speakers out there like you or other books out there like the one that you want to write means that yours doesn't need to also exist. It can be a motivator to be like, how can I make mine better (laughs) than the ones that have been made in the past? But how can I serve my customers better? You know, how can I give them better information? How can I make it simpler? How can I make it clearer? How can I make it more engaging? How can I really connect with a reader in a way that other authors haven't been able to on this topic? So yeah, I mean, I think you can use it as a motivator more than like, well, someone else already did it and they did it better than I could do it. So yeah, I want to ask you one final question here. Uh, you touched on this earlier about part of what you do is helping people or just the value of writing in general, whether it's writing for the sake of a book or writing for the sake of a talk or just writing to get it out. As I told you on your podcast, Find Your Voice, which again, people need to download, I generally don't enjoy writing. It's not my favorite thing in the world, but I also recognize the value of it. So for speakers who are just, who are going like, hey, my talk's fine, or I don't need to, I don't feel like I need to be writing. What's the value for those speakers, myself included, of why we should be writing? So the research shows that writing for as little as 20 minutes a day for four days in a row can measurably improve your mood. And this is always the first statistic that I share because it's pretty, it's pretty fascinating and remarkable to think that it can, it can, you know, like in a time and culture when more people than ever are on mood stabilizers, not saying we should trade our antidepressants for a writing practice, but we have this really simple, easily accessible tool that can help us connect with how we really feel about a thing, how we really think about a thing that can help us connect with our inner joy and wisdom and and all of that stuff. And it and actually has a tangible impact on your cellular makeup too. It can improve your 
immune system. So people who write regularly are 50% less likely to visit the doctor for colds and flus. So to think that writing, a regular practice of writing is having that kind of impact on our cells, on our biology, what kind of impact could it be having on our minds and hearts and spirits? I find it writing to be like a cleansing. There's something about it that just unlocks creativity in a way that speaking doesn't always do. And the other thing that I tell people too is we think of ourselves as not writers. So like for whatever reason in our culture, we've divided the world into writers and not writers. So we think like certain people are writers. They were born to be writers. They're gifted to be writers. And this happens for speaking too. It's like, oh, that person's born to be a speaker. They're born to be on stage. When really these skills are learned and we live in a time in history when it's not an option to choose not to be a writer. Because how many of us can get through a day or a week or a month of our lives without writing, composing, and sending emails, text messages, messages of any kind? Like writing is communication. Writing is connection. It's spirituality. It's prayer. It's meditation. It's all of these things. So I just don't like that writing gets limited to this certain group of people. Now, some people have a gift and a way with getting words on a page that makes sense to another person or another reader, but that doesn't mean that we can't use a regular practice of journaling to better understand ourselves and our place in the world and what we care about, what matters to us. There's something about putting the pen on the paper that helps us get to a part. It actually helps you get to a part of your brain that you don't usually get to your, your limbic brain. So we spend most of our day, 80 or sorry, 95% of our day we spend in our prefrontal cortex. And what putting the pen to paper does is it helps you drop into your limbic system. So you're accessing a part of your brain that you don't usually access and you're usually getting to a more true part of yourself. So I would just give the challenge to anybody who thinks, I hate writing, I'm not a writer, I don't like this, I don't feel like it, to just try for four days for 20 minutes. If you're looking for prompts, you can go to findyourvoice.com and we send out Monday motivation prompts every single Monday morning, new prompts in your inbox with directions for how to use them. And you can use those prompts to write for 20 minutes a day. And then I would just challenge you to see if you feel any different or feel any better, or if you find that you, you know, get a great idea from your response to one of the prompts. <sighs> okay. Okay. <laughs> I'll think about it. I'll think about, we'll see if I can write some things. I think like, yeah, to be fair, I think you, I think you make a good point that I'm probably very guilty of like, it being just a limiting belief. Like sure. I'm probably a fine writer if I actually sat down and work it out. But here's how I know you're a great writer, Grant, because you're a great ideas person. And I said this when I interviewed you on my podcast, but I say all the time that good writing is not good grammar. Good writing is good thinking. Yeah. And if you're a great ideas person, you'd be a great you are a great writer. It's just a matter of like getting over the mental obstacle. That, okay. You know, it's okay. a different here's the thing. <laughs> it's the same obstacle for writers who are moving into speaking. It's like yeah. a different, it's like the deer in headlights that you feel when you stand on stage. Yeah. I see that speakers feel that when they sit down to write, they feel like a deer in headlights staring at the blinking cursor. So interesting. Yeah. Allie, thank you so much. I always enjoy chatting with you. This is a lot of fun, very insightful. Again, the thank podcast you. is Find Your Voice. Go download that. And you mentioned findyourvoice.com. Is that right? Yep, that's All it. Right. Any, anywhere else people can go to find out more about you and what you're up to? You can find us on Let's Find Your Voice on Instagram. You can also follow me if you want on Instagram at Allie Fallon, A-L-L-Y-F-A-L-L-O-N. Awesome. Thanks, Allie. Thanks, Grant. All right, there you go. Hope you enjoyed that conversation with Miss Allison Fallon. 
definitely check out her work and uh, what we're doing in the podcast interview I did for her on the Find Your Voice podcast. Definitely check it out. It's a lot, a lot of fun. And also don't forget to pre-order your copy of The Successful Speaker. Again, you can do that by going over to thespeakerlab.com slash book. Again, you can find it at thespeakerlab.com slash book. So again, thanks for hanging out with us, my friend, and we'll uh, talk to you soon. You're awesome. <laughs>